Well, I'm going to go ahead and invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 100. Psalm 100, sometimes called the Jubilate, sometimes called the Old Hundredth, uh, a song that uh, is probably of all the Psalms, one of the most liturgically used Psalms uh, on, uh, in the Psalter. Uh, so I'm going to read Psalm 100 this morning. We're just going to look at the issue uh, the subject of thanksgiving. So give your attention to the reading of God's word this morning. Psalm 100. It's a song for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of God endures forever. Uh, so we're just on the other side of Thanksgiving. Uh, some of us have been eating so many leftovers, the tryptophan is still just coursing through our veins. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure who else has a Thanksgiving tradition of going around the table to share something that you've been thankful for over the past year. Uh, but I'm sure that you've experienced the act of giving thanks makes you more thankful. Uh, that's part of the power of thanksgiving, uh, that when you give thanks, you, you become more thankful. Uh, and of course, that's not just supposed to be an annual holiday at the end of November. Thanksgiving should mark our lives every day. Uh, it's good for our hearts to recount all the ways that God's love has been manifested uh, in our lives and the lives of our loved ones and in our world. Uh, so Thanksgiving is, is great. Thanksgiving is also difficult. Uh, I am not predisposed to thankfulness. Uh, and we are also living in trying times that don't naturally incline us to thankfulness. Uh, the pandemic, social unrest, divisions that have reached into churches and families and friendships. Uh, we are constantly overwhelmed with bad news, real, hyperbolized, and imagined. The world is constantly pushing us not to thanksgiving, but to anger, grumbling, cynicism, despair. All of these things make us blind to the good for which we should be giving thanks. So Thanksgiving is hard, but it's important. One person calls it a form of resistance against fatalism, cynicism, and our own slouch hearts. Uh, so this morning to rejoice and to resist uh, I, I just want to look at this small psalm, Psalm 100. It's got a really simple structure. 
Uh, two stanzas, verses one to three and four and five. Each stanza follows a really simple pattern. It calls us to praise God, and it gives us reasons to praise God. And something that we can notice about that pattern right away, calls to praise, reasons to praise, is the joining together of joy and knowledge. Uh, You can see in this psalm all kinds of words that reflect joy, make a joyful noise, gladness, singing, thanksgiving, praise. Uh, And you can look at this psalm and see all the things we're supposed to know about God's character. He is God. He made us. We are his, the sheep of his pasture. He's good. He's full of steadfast love. His faithfulness endures forever. Uh, And you can have joy without knowledge. It's basically just happiness. You can have knowledge without joy. It's just in your head. Uh, You could have no joy and no knowledge. You don't want to hang out with that person. Uh, The goal, though, is to have joy and knowledge kiss and to have them together. Uh, And that's what this psalm is for. The title of the psalm is a song for giving thanks. It's actually the only psalm in the Psalter uh, with this title. It teaches us to give thanks to the Lord. So we're just going to look at these two stanzas. Uh, So the first stanza, uh, it has uh, three commands. The first is, make a joyful noise, all the earth. Uh, And the joyful noise here uh, is not a reference to the fact that some of us are not so great at holding a tune. The people on Zoom are like, why does Pastor Dave keep muting the sound during, uh, you know, during the songs? It's because I don't want you to hear my joyful noise. Uh, But that's not what the psalm is referring to here. Uh, It's actually a shout of acclamation that pays homage to the king. So if you think about Zechariah 9, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. Shout aloud. Behold, your king is coming. Uh, And that king in Psalm 100 is the Lord. It's the God who revealed his name to Moses on Sinai. He delivered Israel from Egypt. He brought them into the promised land. The Lord is the king of Israel. But note that he's also the king of all the nations. So it says in verse one, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Uh, Now I'm a little bemused by uh, commentators and there are actually many of them who say, well, you know, verse one uh, is a rebuke to Israel. Uh, You you know, one one commentator says uh, that this shakes the Jew by reaching out to the Gentile, by extending the news to all the earth. I just want to note, uh, who is writing this psalm? Uh, Jews are. Uh, Whose worship was Psalm 100 originally used in? Israel's worship. Uh, So the God, that God is the king of the nations has always been part of Israel's faith and theology, even if certain prophets uh, who didn't want to go to Nineveh or other places uh, forgot it. Uh, So make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. The second command, serve the Lord with gladness. So when the king comes, you serve him. 
Uh, in the NIV, it's worship. Uh, the two ideas are close together. Worship is a form of service. Uh, remember, God had Moses say to Pharaoh, let my people go in order that they may serve me in the wilderness. Pharaoh didn't respond by saying, oh, they just want to go out and hold a worship service for a couple of days. Uh, Pharaoh understood if you serve the Lord, you don't serve Pharaoh. Uh, it's about an exclusive relationship. It's about uh, ultimate allegiance. It's why Jesus says no one can serve two masters. Uh, so the goal of the Exodus was not to set the people free from service. The goal of the Exodus was to set them free from serving a tyrannical king like Pharaoh. And it was to set them free to serve a good God, a good king who loves and redeems and cares, which is why it says serve the Lord with gladness. Uh, you won't find that his service is bitter labor. You won't find that his service is harsh and cruel. You'll find that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And he gives rest to those who come to him. So serve the Lord with gladness and then come into his presence with singing. Uh, there might be some movement here in these first three commands. So first the king comes, then you serve him, and then he invites you into his very presence, which just makes you rejoice and sing. Uh, here's a way to just summarize the first two verses of Psalm 100. Joyfully submit yourself to the Lord. Don't be turned in on yourself. Dethrone every other allegiance and joyfully reorient your life around him. And then verse three tells us why we should do this. Uh, and the answer is, uh, the reason is, know that the Lord, he is God. And uh, th this is a command, but it's really more like a verdict. We know that the Lord is God. Uh, now, we tend to use these words, Lord and God, interchangeably. Praise God, right? Praise the Lord. They both mean the same thing to us. Uh, remember that when you see Lord in your Bible, all caps, all those little caps, small caps there, uh, that's the personal divine name. Uh, the Tetragrammaton uh, that uh, Jews reverently avoid pronouncing and Christians almost certainly pronounce incorrectly. Uh, so we don't actually know what the correct pronunciation is, but the consensus is the way most people pronounce it is almost certainly not the proper pronunciation. So all we really know for sure is that when we pronounce it, we're wrong. Uh, so the Tetragrammaton there, it's the name of the God who revealed himself to Moses, who redeemed Israel out of Egypt, who brought them into the land. And the claim is that this God, this God of Israel is the real God, the sovereign of everything, the Lord of all of life. Uh, and that what one person calls the gods of Egyptian enslavements, Canaanite, manipulation and Babylonian, Babylonian imperialism are all declared null and void. Uh, so that phrase, the Lord is God, takes us back to a couple of different places uh, in the Bible. But the main one, I think, is the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal 
on Mount uh, Carmel. Recall how when Elijah prayed, fire came down from heaven. It consumed the altar and the sacrifice, even though Elijah had been drenching it with, you know, buckets of water. And we read this in 1 Kings 18, verse 39. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God, which means he alone is worthy of your allegiance, of your loyalty, of your trust. Uh, Verse three goes on to say, he made us and not we ourselves. I think Israel, like people today, had a tendency to view themselves as being self-made. This is kind of a theme that comes up uh, in the scriptures in a number of places. Uh, In Isaiah 45, we we read God saying, uh, hey, clay pot, stop striving uh, with the one who made you to tell him how you should be made. Uh, In Deuteronomy 8, uh, we read, uh, don't say it was my power. It was my strength, the strength of my hand that got me where I am today, that got me all of this stuff. Uh, We often think of ourselves as at least partly, often mostly self-made, that the thing that distinguishes me from somebody else is I made myself and got myself where I am. Uh, It's very hard to be thankful if you think you've earned everything. Uh, It's very hard to cultivate gratitude when you think you are just getting what you deserve. And the Bible is always helping us to abandon thinking that we are self-grounded. And uh, when we do that, when we think that we're self-grounded, it leads not to thankfulness. Uh, It leads, on the one hand, either to pride and control and domination Uh, or it leads to cynicism and anxiousness and fear, right? Remember, the only difference between the proud person uh, and the fearful, despairing person is their evaluation of themselves, how well they think that they're doing. But the root cause is the same. They think that they're self-grounded. He made us, not we ourselves. Uh, And then here's the other reason to thankfully reorient our lives around him. Uh, Verse three says, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Uh, By the way, just note, it doesn't say we are his enemies. It could say that uh, because naturally, because of sin, we are. But it says we are his people Uh, and not just any people, but the people that he watches over and cares for and protects, which is what it means that we're the sheep of his pasture. Uh, the flock that he loves. Uh, So when you put these two things together, he made us, not we ourselves, and he watches over us and cares for us because we're the flock, we're the people, the sheep of his pasture. Uh, I think you get this idea, uh, and it is that he not only made us and redeemed us, he also keeps and preserves us. Uh, the, The thought is, He made us, and we are still his. That's kind of the idea. In spite of our sin, in spite of our failure, in spite of our weakness, in spite of our unbelief, 
in spite, in spite of our striving against him, we are still the people of his pasture. That's a reason to give thanks. I think it's hard to read that last line of verse three without thinking about Jesus as the good shepherd who knows, who protects his sheep so that no one can snatch them out of his hand. Of course, Jesus is making a big claim when he says that about his identity and his own relationship to the Father. But he's also reminding us of his care, of his protection, of his grace, which is an invitation to thankfulness. Okay, so that's the first stanza. In verses four to six, we get, sorry, verses uh, four and five, we get the second stanza, uh, another cycle of commands and reasons. And I'll be a little bit briefer here. Uh, The commands are enter his gates, give thanks to him, uh, and bless his name. Uh, Now, I don't know this for sure, but I'm I'm fairly confident the imagery here uh, is that first, you enter into the temple precincts through the gates. Uh, And then when you are in the courts, you offer a sacrifice as a way of thanking God. So uh, Todah, Thanksgiving, is often just the name of the sacrifice to give thanks. You bring your sacrifice into the presence of God. Leviticus 7.12, yeah, Leviticus 7.12 says, he offers it for a thanksgiving. He offers it for a Todah. It's the same word here. And then after the sacrifice, uh, then you bless God. Uh, You lift up his name and you glorify him for who he is and what he has done. And so I just want us to note in this that entering into God's courts, giving him uh, the sacrifice and blessing his name, thanksgiving here, giving thanks, is not a mere feeling. Uh, It's not a psychological state. Uh, I I just feel so thankful. Uh, it, it's not really a kind of subjective sentimentalism, although we should have a subjective sense of being thankful for all that God has done for us. I, I just want us to note that thankfulness here really is presenting our offering, which is a way of saying presenting ourselves to God. Uh, like, like any offering, uh, praise and thanksgiving often require that something be killed. Your pride, your fear, your control, uh, your your sense of um, uh, self-groundedness that we talked about, uh, other things that get in the way of our relationship with the Lord. We kill those things, and then we come and we present ourselves and our thanksgiving to him. And again, in verse 5, we get the reasons to do this. Uh, in verse 4, sorry, in verse 3, the reason was the Lord is God. Here in verse 5, the reason is that the Lord is good. That the Lord is God means he has power and authority. That the Lord is good means that he uses that power and authority for our benefit. Uh, It means that our submission to that power and authority can be joyful because he is using it uh, for our good. Uh, And we learn more about that goodness. In the second half of verse 5, we learn that his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Uh, He is full of steadfast love to people who don't deserve that love. Uh, And his goodness 
is that he remains faithful to all of his promises, even when we fail. Uh, his goodness is that he is always like this, faithful and steadfast and enduring and abiding to all generations. So human goodness ebbs and flows. Some days we are good and merciful. Some days we are not. Some days we keep our word uh, and we fulfill our promises. And other days we do not. But God is not temperamental. He's not mercurial. He's not inconsistent. He's not not dependable like we are. He is steadfast love and constant faithfulness. Uh, and one commentator put it this way. I thought this was helpful. From the vantage of worship, one cannot see the detailed what of the future. But the congregation can behold who waits there. Praise and thanksgiving grow out of and begins to actualize in the present the vision of the goodness of the Lord, which awaits the worshiping community in the tomorrows of life. Uh, we don't know the what of tomorrow. We know the who of tomorrow. Uh, and that means we have reasons to give thanks. Uh, so there's something assumed in this psalm. It's been assumed all along. I just want to point it out, even though it's probably obvious. Uh, what is assumed in this psalm is uh, it is possible to enter into the presence of the Lord. Uh, it's not only possible, the Lord actually wants us to come through his gates and into his courts and give him thanks. Uh, Derek Kidner says, the simplicity of this invitation may conceal the wonder of it, for the courts are truly his, not ours, and his gates are shut to the unclean. Yet not only his outer courts, but the holy of holies itself are thrown open by a new and living way, and we are welcome. The God who invites us into his presence to give thanks is the same God who did something to ensure that his people could enter into those gates and express their thanks to God. He is the God who did something to give us the ultimate reason to be thankful. He came in the person of Jesus to turn his enemies into his people into the flock of his pasture. He came to shepherd us and to give us ne never-ending steadfast love. Uh, and so this is a psalm for giving thanks. It actually tells us really everything that we need to know to give thanks in any circumstance, that the Lord is God and the Lord is good, uh, that he is a king who exercises power, but he exercises that power on our behalf that he is full of steadfast love and faithfulness and has invited us to experience those things in Jesus Christ. Uh, and this is why Thanksgiving can happen regardless of our circumstances. Even when the world is off kilter, even when you are in relational distress, even when you can't see through the darkness of despair or depression, even when sickness or death are drawing near, it is always possible to enter into the gates of the Lord and give him thanks for his steadfast love and faithfulness. 
one, one final quote, because I thought that this was helpful. Uh, it takes faith to be thankful in the dark. To see what is as real as, indeed more real than, the darkness, loss, and sorrow. To see the fingerprints of God all over your life, your precious, beloved life, and all over our world. To see light, to see God. In this sense, thanksgiving is a spiritual practice, something we can and must, with God's help, choose, shifting our gaze outward, turning our hearts upward. And then here's the quote that I had mentioned before. Thanksgiving is resistance against fatalism, cynicism, and our own slouched hearts. Uh, so I hope this psalm fuels us to rejoice uh, and to resist a little bit more. Uh, I really think resisting, the resisting part uh, is important right now. We've got to shift our gaze. Uh, we've got to shift it to the God who is in his being and in his works gives us the ultimate reason to give thanks. Uh, and that is for his steadfast love and faithfulness in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray together.